reaching out and being the hands and feet of Jesus this week. It's really been amazing to hear how so many of you have jumped into action and helped serve those both inside and outside our community of faith. I know it's been a trying week for so, so many, but you lending a helpful hand has truly made a difference. Today, we're beginning a new series called Never the Same, how an encounter with Jesus changes everything. And I'm so excited to begin this series with our preaching team. We're going to take the next seven weeks leading up to Easter and look in John's gospel at personal encounters Jesus had with people from all different walks of life. We'll see him interact with skeptics and doubters. We'll look in detail at conversations he had with the up and out and the down and out. And all of them have one thing in common. When people encountered Jesus, they were never the same. Throughout this series, our campus pastors will encourage you to think about your own sphere of influence. Who is that one person in your life, that one family that you know needs to have an encounter with Jesus? Some of them you see in your mind right now, you know exactly who they are, and we're asking you to begin praying for them. And then leading up to Easter Sunday, that's April the 4th, we're going to ask you to simply make an invite to them and to join you for church that Sunday. Can you imagine what it would be like across all of our campuses if all of us invite one person, one family that needs to have an encounter with Christ? Can you imagine what it would be like to pray for them beginning right now, praying for the courage to invite them with you on Easter Sunday, and then they show up what God could do? We're believing that if that happens, they could have an encounter with Jesus that might just change them forever. That they will be like the people we're studying in this series, never ever the same. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bibles now and turn to John chapter 3 as Pastor Alec Brunson leads us in this first encounter we're looking at in John's Gospel. It's with a very religious man named Nicodemus. You're going to love this message. God bless you as we share in God's Word today. Amen. Appreciate that setup from Pastor Jarrett. And uh, good morning. What a joy it is to gather with the people of God in, in worship. And I pray that you have already um, felt and sensed the presence of God amongst his people this morning. And like Jarrett said, today we begin a walk through the Gospel of John, looking at different encounters, the people that uh, encountered Jesus. And we know, we know, you and I, Lord willing, know that whenever somebody has an encounter with Jesus, everything changes. Everything is different after we have an encounter with Christ. And we know that for any of us, you and I, our most important need, our biggest need, is to have an encounter with Jesus. And this is true because all of us are born in sin, separated from God, and dead spiritually. That's all of us, you and I. Um, and we must be made alive by the Spirit of God and believe in Jesus to save. All of us must do this. We must have an encounter with Jesus. And I believe as we begin this, there is not a more important encounter to look at than in John 3 and Nicodemus. It's one of the most important encounters that we can look at. And I'm going to encourage you, just like Pastor Jarrett said, I'm going to encourage you each week to be thinking about people in your life, neighbors, family, people that, are, um, that you are around that need to know Jesus, that even need to have an encounter with him. I'm going to encourage you and urge you every week to begin thinking about them, praying for them, and, and invite them to, to come and, and join you here in worship to hear the gospel preached. I'm going to encourage all of those things um, throughout the next few weeks, but today I, I want to speak specifically to you, 
as individuals. I want to speak specifically to every single person in the room as an individual because today, for now, I don't want you to think about who needs this message. I I, I want it to, to land right where we, each of us are individually. I don't want us to, to think about who, um, who those people might be. I, I, I do want you to, to think about them. But for, for now, for this time, I, I want this to, be, to land on each of us individually. Because I, it's just the, the, the conviction that, that I have for this morning. Um, because, here's the point of the sermon. It doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. It doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. It doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. There's no more important reality for you as an individual. There's, no important, um, there's not a more important question to answer for yourself than if you have, have you been born again? Have you trusted in Jesus to save? Do you believe in him to save you? There is no more important question for you to answer this morning. Because it doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, For some studies that I've been doing recently, I have dedicated my evenings to reading sermons and books uh, by a guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was one of the um, probably one of, one of the best uh, 20th century preachers in the, in the early part of the, the 1900s. He died in 1981, one of the most influential uh, British evangelical preachers, and, and I would commend all of his books to you. Uh, you don't need to read them all like I'm, I'm having to do, but it, it is, um, it's unbelievable uh, to read his, his sermons and, and, and his, him talking about revival. And uh, I, the other night I read, um, there's a, a little book that actually his wife wrote. Her name's Bethan. And uh, they spent their first 11 years in ministry uh, in a small little coastal coal town, uh, coal mining town in, in South Wales. And she, she tells stories about their first ministry over the, over the first few years. And she talked about how it was commonly accepted you know, everybody believed, and, and people still believe this today, by the way, that if you don't believe in Jesus, if you're not saved by the time you're 16, then you really have, you know, your chances go down like, like tremendously uh, if, you, if you don't come to Christ, you know, as a, as a child or a teenager. And she's like, everybody, everybody just kind of commonly believes that. You know, and, and, and people today in, in the church today still believe that as well, that, you know, if, if you're not like a, a teenager or, or a youth or, or a kiddo, your chances of, of being saved, you know, are, are very small. And maybe statistically that, that might bear out to be the case. And, you know, of course, it's important for us to invest in our next generation ministries, uh, which is why we invest so much in our, in our kids and our students. But... She said in, in this book that, that Dr. Lloyd-Jones, he, he never really believed that. He believed that no matter what age you were, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, where the gospel is preached, where the Spirit of God moves, you can be saved. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. You can trust in Jesus to save. You can be born again. 
And so this morning, as we come together, as we begin to, to look at John chapter 3, I just want to encourage you again to, to think about yourself as an individual who has come in to gather with the people of God today, to answer the question, have you been born again? And it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter where you come from, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church here, it doesn't matter how long, if you grew up in church, it does not matter. The point stands, you must be born again, and each of us individually has to answer that question. And this is what John 3, verses 1 through 15 teaches, and I've divided the sermon up into three different sections, and you'll see uh, that there's three times where it says Jesus answered him. Okay? So I see that there's three different um, aspects of Nicodemus that Jesus is speaking to. His three different questions, his three different things. I, I think we can learn kind of three different things but, uh, from Jesus' answers to Nicodemus. Okay? The first is in verses 1 through 3, and here's, here's what I see. That you can be elite, but you must be born again. Again, remember the point. You must, it doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. First, we see in Nicodemus, you can be elite, you must be born again. Look again at verses 1 through 3 with me. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He's identified here as a ruler of the Jews. Okay? And the Pharisees were, were people that took the law of God very seriously. They took it as their job to, to memorize it, to know it, and to follow it with everything they had and sort of try and get other people to, to do it as well. Um, one New Testament scholar I read called Pharisees the power brokers between the aristocracy and the people. So they would sort of, they were the ones that sort of went to the, the Roman, uh, you know, the uppity ups. They were sort of the ones that hobnobbed with the, with the Romans who were in charge. But they also had, um, you know, connections with, with the people. They sort of went both ways. So they, they were sort of the elite of, of the people of God, of Israel at this time. They, they were sort of, uh, you know, they, they really had it going on. They, they were really somebody. And Nicodemus here is identified as a ruler of the Jews, even more specifically. So some people think that maybe he was even like a leader of the leaders. So Nicodemus here we see was a man of importance. He was a man of influence. He really had something, uh, you know, he, he had a lot going on. In other words, he was a big deal. He was a big shot. He was what we might call elite. And some of you might identify with Nicodemus in this way. Maybe, maybe you've got some influence in the church. Or maybe you've got some influence at your work, whatever you do. Maybe you have some influence over people. Or maybe you have some influence in politics or, uh, you know, you're sort of a, a person of influence in whatever institution or around whatever people you're around. People sort of look to you as, you know, to, as somebody who maybe has answers, whether that's in your job or whatever. Maybe, maybe you can identify with Nicodemus in this way. These things, though, um, amongst other factors... Um, they really, in our sinful flesh, they can cause us to look inwardly for salvation, though. 
if we are somebody who is, uh, has influence, has some power, has some notoriety amongst people, that can kind of cause us and get in our heads to think, yeah, I, I do have it all together. Yeah, I, 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 really, am, uh, I really am something. I really am somebody. And, and we begin to, to think, though maybe not consciously, but, but in our hearts and in our minds, we can think, yeah, I, I've got it all together. I am I, I, good on my own. So we're, we're really trusting in ourselves to save us as opposed to taking the focus off of ourselves and onto Jesus to save. And we can all do this at times. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you have influence or not, whether you would think like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody, or even if you think, yeah, no, I'm nobody. We all at times can fall into the trap of, of thinking that we in and of ourselves kind of have it all together. Like we don't need anybody else. We don't need uh, somebody else to save. And this is a, a dangerous place to be. And this is where Nicodemus was. Because the reality is that our biggest need, our biggest need, like we've already talked about this morning, is to have our sins forgiven and to be made right with God. Of course, it, we, we have a lot of other physical needs in, in this life that um, we need to work to alleviate and, and see that other people are, are not in physical suffering. But we know at the end of the day, the most, the biggest need that you and I have is to have our sins forgiven. We need to be born again. That is our biggest need. We need to be made right with God through Jesus. That's our biggest need. We must um, understand that and realize that each afresh individually this morning. That's our biggest need. So Jesus is approached by Nicodemus and it seems by all accounts that he approaches Jesus with respect. Right? Um, if you, uh, this is a, a, a short plug, by the way. If you have not seen the the Chosen, which is a, um, which is a, uh, it's an app that you can download, and it's like a TV show about the life of Jesus. It's super good, really, really good. Uh, I would encourage you to do it, and they do a good job with this Nicodemus conversation. So, that was parenthetical statement. Okay, now back to it. This conversation, Nicodemus comes to him, and it seems like he is respectful for for all accounts. He says, "You." You're a man come from God. You, um, no, no one could do these signs unless, unless God was with him. He has this, um, he has this respect for Jesus. He, I think he's genuine. He's really trying to figure out what, what is going on. Um, you know, and uh, some people want to, want to read into the fact that he came to him at night trying to say like, you know, he was scared or he didn't want other people to know. I don't, I don't know that we need to read into that too much, but, but I, I, I see Nicodemus as being genuine. You know, he, he approaches Jesus with, with respect. But then verse 3 is the unexpected volcanic eruption of this conversation. You know, Nicodemus is, is coming up to, to Jesus and he's saying, you, you know, you're, you're a man come from God. No, nobody, could, nobody could do these things unless God was with him. You know, and Nicodemus doesn't even ask a question, but Jesus answers him and tells him what his biggest need is. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa, where did that come from? It's like, I, I think that Nicodemus was probably expecting to, to come up to this man who, who he says he's seen signs um, and for Jesus to, to respond something like, yeah, 
I don't know. It was crazy. I, I was at this wedding, and I was, and I, I noticed they were they were running out of drinks, and so I, I prayed, and uh, I went and looked behind this thing, and there was some more wine, and they brought it out. I don't know what happened. It was crazy, you know. So I, God just provided, you know. I think that Nicodemus was expecting the conversation to go something like that. Instead, Jesus, out of nowhere, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa. That was not what Nicodemus bargained for, I don't think. So he's, he's caught off guard. And um, this conversation about being born again, I, I think it really blindsided Nicodemus. And I wonder this morning if you've really considered it in, in any way like Nicodemus has. Maybe this morning for you, this, this notion, this idea of you having to be born again in order to be saved, maybe that's catching you by surprise. Like, Whoa! I've been a good guy my whole life, man. I've been coming to church. I do my best to be a good person. What is all this talk about being born again? What, is, what does that even mean? And here, here again is Jesus getting at our biggest need. Our biggest need. Our biggest need is not to, um, it is not to look good on the outside like the Pharisees thought. Our biggest need is not to follow the rules. Our biggest need is not to try and look a certain way. Our biggest need is not to try and earn God's love to do good works more than we do bad works. And if we do, then then God will accept us. That is not the gospel. Again, kind of blindsiding Nicodemus here. Um, You must be born again. (laughs) You must be born again. Um, and John, though, if you're a reader of the Gospel of John, John has actually already clued us in on that. In John 1, in, in what's known as the prologue of John, um, in verses uh, 12 and 13, it says this, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, so John, John has already told us, to any who received Jesus, who believed in the name of Jesus, Jesus gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So John has actually already told us, the readers of his gospel, that you must be born again. That anybody who believes in Jesus, anybody who receives him, believes in him, is born again and is born of God. But Nicodemus didn't, he hadn't read the first chapter of John's gospel. He's just a character in it, and and we're seeing that he's sort of being blindsided by this. Um... Now, this would have been difficult for them to understand. And and the same maybe is true for you today. Did you know that you are not born a child of God? That's offensive to say. But that's, that's, that's the teaching here. You are not born a child of God naturally in your flesh. Um, Nobody is born a child of God because nobody is born a Christian. Did you know that? Nobody is born a Christian. Um, To be a child of God, you have to be converted. You have to become a Christian. Ephesians 2 says that you were born a child of wrath, not a child of God. Now, all humans are made in the image of God and therefore have an inherent dignity and an inherent worth to them. Um, But we are all born spiritually dead. And we need the Spirit of God to make us alive by grace through faith in Jesus. 
That's when we become a child of God. And that's what Jesus is, is getting at with Nicodemus here. You must be born again. We must be born again, born from above. And when we are born again, that is the birth that makes us children of God. So if you are in Christ this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus to save, if you have been born again, that one, that birth made you a child of God. And again, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. Next in verses four through eight, I see this, that you can be a skeptic or a seeker. You can be a skeptic or a seeker, but you must be born again. All right, look at verses four through eight again with me. Um, Nicodemus said to him, remember, he just slapped him upside the head saying that you need to be born again. And Nicodemus says in verse four, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, he's doubling down here. Unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. You can be a skeptic or a seeker. You can be a questioner, but you must be born again. How can a man be born again when he's old? See, Nicodemus responds to Jesus in this way. Um, the claim that he must be born again, Nicodemus responds with the question, how, how, can, how, can, how can these things be? What, how can I do that? Um, some interpreters take Nicodemus' response as like sarcastic. Like he's saying, oh, really? How am I going to do that? <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that we read Nicodemus that way. I think he's genuinely trying to understand. I think he's a genuine skeptic, maybe too strong a word. I think he's genuinely seeking. I think he's really trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing. He heard some things that he had done and he really wants to figure out what is going on here. So I, I see Nicodemus as being genuine. He's really trying to figure it out. He's really trying to understand, really trying to see what it is about Jesus that makes him different. Why are his followers this way? What, what, is, what is this whole thing about? Um. And maybe you identify with Nicodemus on this front. Maybe, maybe you've been coming to church for a while, but you're still not really convinced about Jesus. You're not like, for sure. You still have some doubts and you're still trying to work it out. Like, I don't know about all this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep coming. Um, you're interested in him, maybe, but you've never put your full trust and hope in him to save. You've never received him and experienced the new birth. Maybe that's you. Maybe you grew up in church and you've never experienced anything like the new birth. You've never been born again, even though you've grew up in the church. Maybe that is your story. Um, maybe you haven't been born again. And I'm praying that today, this moment would actually be your day and your moment. And when I ask people to tell me their what we call in church terms, your testimony. You know, when I ask people, sh share with me, um, share with me, you know, your, your story. How did you come to know Jesus? How did, how did, how did you, um, how were you saved? Right, when I ask questions like that, a lot of people start their story with something like this. Well, I grew up in the church and I was baptized when I was six. You know, that's, that's, that's how a lot of people 
start their, their story. Um, there's no talk about Jesus. There's no talk or recognition of sin. There's no talk of a separation from God. There's no talk of his glorious sacrifice on the cross to save sinners. There's no talk about what he did on the cross to pay for our sin and our debt. There's no talk. There's no talk of Jesus and what he has done. It's just like, yeah, I grew up in the church and got baptized when I was six. And I've, you know, it's kind of been in and out ever since then, you know. It's a lot of people's stories. Um, now, I'm not saying that you need to know the exact time and place whenever you walked the aisle or prayed the prayer. You don't need the, the date written down in your Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, but you need to know what Jesus has done for you and in you, and you need to be able to testify of that. In some way where it was like, I knew I was a sinner, I trusted in Jesus to save, and I'm different now. You know, that, that, is the, that is the story of the new birth, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, but this gets us back to our text, because Jesus answers Nicodemus' question. He doubles down in, in saying, you must be born of water in the Spirit. You must be born from above to enter the kingdom of God. He challenges Nicodemus here. Don't marvel that I said you must be born again. And then, Verse 8, to me, is where the rubber really meets the road when it comes to you and I and our individual testimonies about what Jesus has done for us. This is where it, this is where it really comes down to it for me. It's in verse 8. The wind, this is Jesus explaining how the new birth happens. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound. You hear its sound. Um, but... You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says that being born again, receiving a new heart, being saved is like the wind. Get this. You don't see it, but you know it when you feel it. (laughs) You know it when you hear its effects. When you see, you know, think about it. When, when the wind is blowing the, the, the leaves and, and the trees, you, you don't see it, but you certainly can see its effects. That's what the new birth is like. That's what it's like to be born of the Spirit, to be born again. You don't see it. Nothing, nothing like physically changes or happens, but certainly you can see its effects and know that you're changed. That's, that's the new birth. You, something is different about you after you receive Jesus, after you believe in him, you're different. You can see its effects in your life. And if something like this is not your testimony, then I would challenge and urge you to examine yourself to see if you truly have been born again. I'm not trying to scare anybody into thinking you're not saved or question your salvation. That's not it. But we do have biblical precedent to to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. To examine ourselves, to make sure. And I I believe that that's what what this is this morning. If your testimony um, 
is not something like this. Again, it's not, it's not that you need to know the, the time and, and, and the date, but, but if you don't know that there was a time when you realized that you were a sinner and you needed a Savior, you couldn't save yourself, and you trusted in Jesus to save, and you received him, believed in his name, and then you were different from then on out, that's got to be your testimony. And if it's not, let's, let's make it be your testimony today. Um, something happens and you can't explain it. That's what it's like to be born again. Again, you don't, you don't see it coming necessarily, but you can feel it. You can see its effects in your life. That is the new birth. You were one way, now you're another. Just like the wind blows all of a sudden, you feel it, you see its effects. In Titus, Paul calls this the washing of regeneration. Again, this new birth, washing of regeneration or you know, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So this concept of being born again, it's, it's even throughout the rest of the New Testament. Um, have you experienced this? Have you felt the Spirit of God rush into your heart like a wind that you can't see but you can feel? Set your testimony. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does have to be recognizable. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does have to be recognizable. Do you see? If your testimony is that you grew up in the church and you never knew a time that, that you, you, know, you weren't here singing songs or whatever, praise the Lord for that if he has kept you from much sin and pain and debauchery and, and brokenness. Praise the Lord for that. But again, e- even if it's not dramatic, it does need to be recognizable. There does need to be a time where you can recognize, yes, I, I was... I was dead in my sins and trespasses and God made me alive. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it does have to be recognizable. So, you can be a skeptic or a seeker, but you must be born again. It doesn't matter who you are, you must be born again. Okay? The final division comes in verses 9 through 12. I'll say it like this. You can be religious. You can be religious, but you must be born again. You can be religious, but you must be born again. Look at verses 9 through 12. Nicodemus said to him, so he's asking a question again, how can these things be? And Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel? Are you the, te- are you the leader, the teacher of the people of God, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you earthly things you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus questions again. Jesus responds essentially. Because Nicodemus is religious and because he knows the Bible, Jesus says he should know about the new birth. So what does this mean? If if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, who knows, pretty much has the Old Testament memorized, and he says, you're a teacher of these things and you don't understand, what that indicates is the new birth, being born again, it must be in the Old Testament somewhere. It, it must be, if he expects Nicodemus to have recognized these things, it must be in the Old Testament. And in fact, it is. Ezekiel 36, um, verses 25 through 27. We, we'll have it on the screen. And it says this. Now, tell me if this is not exactly what Jesus is getting at. But Nicodemus didn't see it. This is what God said would happen through the prophet Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That is the Old Testament um, definition of what it means to be born again. And that's what Jesus says he's doing. That's what he says Nicodemus needs. And so the time that Ezekiel was talking about, it's, it's now, it's time. Nicodemus, you should have seen it, but I'm telling you now, you must be born again. If you want to be a part of what God is doing to save and reign over a people on the earth, you must be born again. If you want to be a part, that's what the kingdom of God is. God reigning and ruling over a people on this earth. If you want to be a part of it, you have to be born again. You have to receive Jesus and believe in him. That's what it's like to be born again. Again, Nicodemus knew his Bible well, very religious. Our guy Nicodemus, he grew up in church, if we could put it that way. But he didn't get it. He, he needed to be born again. We need, to, um, we need to be born again. What we need most is not, uh, not like, you know, rah-rah pep talks. What we need most is not five ways to live a better life. What we need is to be born again. It's only there um, when we look to the cross and trust the sacrifice of Jesus to save. It is only there where we find life and eternal life, where we can enter the kingdom of God to, to be a part of what God is doing to save and reign over a people here on this earth. We enter that by trusting in Jesus to save. Um, so as we wrap up, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask our, our team to come back up, and we're going to respond in, in worship in just a second. Um, but uh, if you, you know, I, I wonder if, if you identify with Nicodemus in, in any of these ways. Um, you know, have you been coming to, to church? Do you know your Bible? Have you kind of grown up in the church, but maybe you've been missing it? You know, maybe... Um, you know, maybe you thought the Christian life was just about being good, doing more good things than bad things. That's not the Christian life. Maybe you, um, you know, maybe this is just something you do to make your parents happy. Or maybe it's something you do because it's sort of culturally accepted. It's just sort of what you've always done. Um, maybe it's something you do just for some sort of insurance, like, well, you know, I just want to make sure if it is true, I want, to, I want to have like had, you know, some experience in there or something. If any of these things are you, that would indicate that you are probably have not experienced the new birth. You're probably not truly a Christian. If your motivation is anything but looking to the sacrifice of Jesus to save and worshiping him for that, you must be born again. So then this leads us to the question, How? How can we be born again? And the answer is in verses 14 and 15. Where Jesus says, um, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we, we've got to turn back to Numbers 21 to see what Jesus is talking about here. He's making an illusion. And listen, listen to the story here in Numbers 21. This is the people of God. It says, From Mount Or they sent out on the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
There's no food. There's no water. We loathe this worthless food, which by the way, God had provided miraculously out of heaven. Like, come on, people are grumbling. Then the Lord, Yahweh, sent fiery serpents among the people and they came and bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. He would look at the bronze serpent and live. So what's happening here? In Numbers, the people of God were in sin. This is how I read this. The people of God were in sin. And you know what Romans 6 is? You know what we get for sin? The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. And so here in Numbers 21, the people are sinning against God. They're speaking against him. They're grumbling. They're in sin. And so God gives them what they deserve. That is death. That's what we get for our sin. The wages of sin, what we get for our sin is death. Okay? But the people have an advocate. They have somebody to go to God for them, and that's Moses. And they confess their sin, and then God provides a way for them to be saved, to be healed from their sin. Does that sound familiar? Numbers 21 is the gospel in short. That what you and I deserve is to be dead. (laughs) We deserve death. But when we recognize our sin and when we look to the sacrifice of God and believe, we can be healed and saved. Now, not necessarily healed of snake bites, but healed of what our biggest, our greatest need is, and that is the forgiveness of our sins, to be made right with God. Again, that's our biggest need. Don't miss that. So the people of God in the wilderness snake bites. They were getting what they deserved. They were getting death because of their sin. The same way that you and I are outside of Christ. The wages of sin, what we get for our sin is death. But continue Romans 6.23, but the free gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so Jesus says, remember, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus here Maybe we didn't know it at the time, but when Jesus says, so just like the Son of Man is to be lifted up, when, when was Jesus lifted up? On the cross. On the cross. So now, in the same way that the people in, in Numbers 21, when Moses held up, when he lifted up that serpent, and all the people had to do was look, and they were saved so too is the exact same way for you and I. If we would just look to Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us, all you got to do is look and you will be healed of your greatest need, the forgiveness of your sins. That's it. That's it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be influential. You don't have to be um, some sort of like scholar. You don't, you don't have, it doesn't matter who you are. If you look to Jesus, believe in him, you will be saved. It's a simple gospel message for you and I today. So I urge you, 
question. Have you been born again? Is this true of you? Have you looked to Jesus to save? See him on the cross. And when you realize it was your sin that held him there until it was accomplished, he did it for you on the cross. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.